Hey, what's up, everybody? On this episode of the podcast, we talk to somebody very special to me. My wife. My wife, Summer, is on the podcast today. Uh, She's pretty much the raddest person ever. Uh, She is a clinical psychotherapist. Uh, She's a yoga therapist. She's a yoga teacher that has her 500-hour certification. She's a certified Ayurvedic practitioner. Um, she might be the most educated person I've ever known. She just keeps learning, never nonstop. It's just always learning. Uh, she's a wealth of knowledge, uh, particularly in the areas of trauma, how it affects the human brain, uh, you know, and just human behavior and emotions in general. So I'm super excited to have her on. And yes, I hope you dig. And everyone, this is my wife, Summer. Enjoy. Hello, my love. Hi. Welcome to the Satsung Podcast. I haven't recorded it yet, but when it is released, there will be a nice intro that I put together about you. I'm sure I said some nice things. Um, So, everybody, uh, Summer is my wife, uh, mother of my children, uh, but in her own realm, outside of the house, she is a clinical therapist and a yoga therapist and is one of the most highly credentialed people that I've ever met in the naturopath world. And so straight out the gate, why don't you just tell everybody about what you do and kind of how you've merged the two worlds of, uh, you know, yoga and the naturopathic stuff and Eastern stuff with your American clinical practice. Yeah, so I have always um, seen this vision of integrative psychotherapy between the Eastern and the Western. Um, So it took me on different uh, paths, different branches, if you will. So I went through my psychology degree, master's degree, did the whole Western education three you know, through the university system. And then I had to go study yoga, which led me into more schooling down yoga therapy. And then that third branch was um, off into meditation. And so years of doing all that while raising kids and going through, um, you know, family process, it's taken a long time, but here we are. I officially call myself an integrated psychotherapist where I get to use the tools of yoga yoga therapy, meditation with cognitive behavioral, with um, all of the great things that come with psychotherapy. Yeah. So when we first met, you had just finished um, um, your master's and what your master's is in child psychology, right? Uh, Well, psychology, early childhood development is my undergrad, but my grad is... um, school counseling K through 12 with rehabilitation. So, um, so when did you, did you, how old were you, um, when you knew that you wanted to have a clinical practice? When did that happen that, that you saw that is something you wanted to do? Um, I always said I was going to be a baby doctor. I thought that that was bringing babies into the world. Turns out that was my brother, Chad. He's a OBGYN. 
Um, and as I started going more and more into, I would say middle school is when I started getting really deep into psychology and astrology and um, the, the, the out there kind of sciences of philosophy and existentialism. And also, you know, middle school is when I started therapy. <laughs> uh -huh. So diving into my own shit uh, at a pretty young age. Yeah, see, I used to want to be a teacher. You know that I was going to school to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. See, it's different. This is going to be an interesting thing because as we talk, I'm going to tell you things, but you already will know most of them. But the people listening won't. Um, Very long. But yeah, you know, I, I wanted to be a teacher, I thought, for a while. And it was because of that aha moment. And then when I started to go into therapy, the first time I had an aha moment in therapy, and you know, you have that like shock look, like you look at the therapist and they know that you just had like a major like, oh shit moment. And I would just, I remember when I left, uh, left that session, I remember being like, man, that must be really cool to just light people up like that all day and make them like, you know, have these little like crazy self-aware uh moments um how old were you when you when you did your first yoga class and talk a little bit about just like how how you go from because i enjoy yoga but i've never once has it crossed my mind to teach so talk a little bit about when you first did yoga when you first started doing yoga seriously and when you decided you wanted to go all the way up to getting a 500 hour because you were one of three people that I've met that have their 500 hour. It's like, it's a huge endeavor. It's 500 hours, you know, that's outrageous. Yeah. It's a lot of time you put in to be an E-R-O-T 500 for sure. When we first met, I remember you were finishing that up too. And I remember you just always had the most massive stack of books with you at all point in time. Yeah. Studying for it. So yeah, just talk a little bit of, yeah. So how you started yoga when you started taking it seriously and. You know, I'd have to say that, um, my my granny my dad's mom started planting seeds she was a very natural woman before her time or maybe right in her time i don't know um but she was always in the living room doing headstands she would um do these yoga postures but i didn't know it was yoga until i had my own aha moment you know deep into my own practice of oh just remembering i actually was raised with this and then my mom, um, while I was in high school, became a yoga teacher. She was a personal trainer and um, grew up with her teaching aerobics and step and, you know, all of the, all of the things. And so it, yoga came back in, in that way. Um, and then as I started practicing, it was always this thing of, man, that feels really good. Uh, I didn't know what that was. And... I've always been a physical um, exercising. I'd call myself an athlete, but it was that thing of that feels really good. What, what is that? Do more of that. Mm -hmm. And at the time I didn't know it was a spirituality aspect that kept turning me on from that deeper place. Um, so in my early twenties, uh, I just kept going to classes. And then in my undergrad, one of my um, mentors and just yoga teachers that I just, completely admire Elizabeth Claridge um, was teaching a college course and I got to learn a little bit more about the history of yoga and I just kept diving deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And then, so how old were you when you 
made the decision that you wanted to teach? And how long had you been doing yoga up to that? Uh, yeah, about, I was pregnant with Colden. So I was 23 years old, mm -hmm. 23 years old. And then um, I remember taking Caden, he was three years old to some partner yoga and he'd like forward fold me and run my back. And sure. uh, yeah, yeah so it took a little bit of time though, because, um, you know, right moment again, that I knew that I wanted to give people that experience when I was 23, I was pregnant. Um, it took a little bit to have the kids and, and move some shit out of my way. Um, before I could really dive in, I started with a quick yoga fit certificate and I started teaching in a gym and it just gave me the ability to quickly start teaching. Um, and I knew that yoga fit wasn't where, cause it missed the spirituality aspect. It missed the deeper, um, uh, target of what yoga offers, but it allowed me to start teaching. So, so yeah, once I started my 200 hour, um, so you went 200 hour, I went yoga fit 200 hour master's degree and uh, that was 500. Something happened. I don't hear you. Yeah, there you go. Say again. So you went 200 hour and then you got your master's and then you did. I, I was getting my yoga um, training while I was doing my master's. And then how did, um, how did yoga therapy get in the mix? How did you switch from the focus being teaching to, I want to work with people on an individual level um, and work on body specific issues? So while I was teaching the power yoga classes and the um, very physical yoga practice, um, I started seeing the injuries. I started seeing the, um, the individuals not being met through how I was teaching and it bothered me. Um, you know, my, I have a, a, an injury on my left elbow where I shattered my elbow and, um, it's a huge limitation in my practice that I've learned to work with on my own. And so I wanted to offer that individual therapy because I knew it wasn't meant for group. It was meant to meet each person where they're at. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's starting physical, maybe that's starting mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, so the teacher that I found was beautiful. It was just me and one other lady. And she had studied with Desika Char over from India. So she was already a yoga therapist. Um, so I'd say my first 200 hour was actually a yoga therapy 200 hour. Um, and then from there, you know, gaining experience and uh, I, I started looking into yoga therapy school. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. The difference of when you go to an integrative therapist versus going to like a doctor appointed physical therapist, you know, and I discovered that, you know, I've been, I'm always injured. And um, every time that I've gone to like a doctor's doctor appointed, like a, like a, a physical therapist, to a hospital, it's my, sometimes always my takeaway is this, like, this is just made to get people back to a pain-free zone. It's like, I'm not trying to get, just get back to a pain-free zone. I'm trying to get back to a place where I can do the thing again that hurt me, <laughs> you know? Uh, and 
Yeah, I think that's what's so cool about integrative therapy and a lot of what you do too, because I think the thing that separates yoga therapy from all the other stuff is you guys are taking in dosha, which is, well, talk a little bit about doshas. You'll probably explain it better than me. So that's uh, not yoga therapy, but that is Ayurveda. Definitely is another branch that I have, um, you know, added to my, to my roots. Um, but yeah, you know, yoga therapy, we don't get to tap into Ayurveda unless we have that training, which, you know, of course, you know, me, I, I my yoga therapy was also Ayurvedic schooling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I'm looking through um, my lens as an integrated psychotherapist, I definitely am assessing doshas and imbalances. Can you talk a little bit about what doshas are? Because people listening might not know what that is. Sure. In Ayurvedic terms, dosha is, um, you know, we're all made up of elements. And when we're born, we are born uh, completely imbalanced with our particular um, makeup, if you will. And as we start living, we move in and out of imbalance. So the different doshas are like uh, hair color can be a part of it. Body type can be a part of it. There's certain foods that agree with certain doshas, certain foods that don't agree with certain doshas. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your complete makeup. You know, it's not just... Um, personality, although a personality falls into it, but it's, it's the essence of your being, essentially. And, you know, we, the doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. We're a makeup of all three, but we have um, more of some. Some are equal, some are tridoshic. Um, so, I mean, it gets a little confusing if, if, if you don't have a little more, uh, you know, education behind it. But. Um. The reason I brought up the doshas is, is because I think what makes it an important thing with therapy is that we don't really, again, there isn't always the approach in Western medicine to each individual. There's like a blanket. This is what will fix this. This is what will fix this. When different people need different foods, like we were just talking about this, you know, I used to, I was a vegan for a while and then vegetarian and didn't matter how much I exercised or how many protein shakes I drank. I couldn't put on weight. Um, you know, and it wasn't until I started just listening to my body of like, okay, what kind of food does my body actually want? Um, and I feel like so much of that, you know, one thing that was really cool for me too, talking to someone that is an integrative therapist when I had that neck injury was, it was like, you reread all these statistics and stuff like that. And we take those statistics to heart, you know, but it isn't until, you know, we look at the whole of America and it was when my friend said, yeah, man, those statistics saying that you need neck surgery are this high, but like go stand in the middle of a Target or a Walmart and look around and like, that's who we're pulling from. You know, the fact that you're an athlete, the fact that you eat healthy, the fact, you know, the fact that wellness is a part of your everyday life isn't factored into these equations where I feel like in your practice and in most integrative practices, that is kind of at the forefront is like the importance of the individual. For sure. So talk a little bit about Yoga Nidra and iRest and kind of how that, first just tell everyone what it is and then we can kind of get into how you've implemented it into your, uh, uh, into your practice. Uh, yoga Nidra is a specific type of meditation. Uh, again, what I love about it so much is it's through the yogic um, lineage. Uh, nidra is Sanskrit for sleep. It's a yogic sleep. Uh, where, you know, 
I, I get really nerdy here, so I'm, I'm sure that you're going to tell me to, to back it off a little bit. But really, it's, it's a guided meditation that's done, you know, lying down in a comfortable position. And through yogic terms, as we're taking you through different uh, layers of your being. And what's beautiful about yoga nidra for things like trauma, you know, PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, is that through these koshas, through these layers, is we're unfolding all of the things that are creating suffering, that are creating blockages, that um, are creating an imbalance, really, that is keeping us away from our true nature. Knowing that true nature is always whole and always within us, but through life and stress and dysregulation, it starts to pile on and we lose touch with that union, that yogic connection with our um, higher self, right? Our true nature of, of, of where we're coming from. So yoga nidra is, it's simple and it's extremely profound um, type of meditation. Yeah. So kind of tell people what the purpose of it is though. Like, what is the clinical application of, of yoga nidra? In my practice? Mm-hmm. When you're working with people, like what, when do you use it as a tool and for why? Um, so I generally use it as a tool with everybody that I'm working with um, because everybody has, well, one, everybody that's coming to me has some sense of suffering or dis-ease um, and yoga nidra, I use it in different ways. So maybe not just guided meditation, but um, moving through maybe a co-meditation, which I would call a dyad. That's a co-meditation that I would use the tools of yoga nidra and the knowledge that comes from, um, you know, my training with IREST, uh, Richard Miller. So I would use it to Again, the ultimate goal is to tap into that sense of true nature that is always safe, whole, and in, in balance, you know, because things begin to peel away once you tap into that more and more. We, ga we gain a greater sense of awareness. And if we can begin to experience through this overall great, pure, authentic awareness, emotions that are rising, then we can be like, oh, this is happening right now. What is the message behind it? So Yoga Nidra begins to teach us tools, you know, such as that, that, hey, I'm okay. The essence of me is okay. This is just arising within my awareness and it's going to be okay. Yeah, I've done it once or twice with you. And the one I remember is it just kind of, especially for people like me that have a lot of trauma um, that they're dealing with, you know, I'm a pretty heady guy. Like I always joke about, I spend most of my day thinking about thinking. Um, yeah, and like anyone close to me, that's like the ongoing joke, you know, like Corey once said, <laughs> the inner banter of the van is, I go, well, if this is this, then that means that is this, which means this is that. Ben, Ben's thought process is, well, I guess this is just that. And, and Carl's is, I hope they don't think this is that. <laughs> but, but I say all that to say, the thing that I found when we did, um, the dyad is that it just kind of turns the volume down on all of this stuff because you forget that you're you forget that you're working on anything you're like on a guided meditation and then i feel like when you're at peak calmness 
the questions of like, so how did that make you feel start to come in? Did it, well, it allows a sense of separation? So we are not one completely reacting, but two attached to whatever the suffering is it allows a, a space where we can breathe and have like a reprieve and regroup. Yeah. Separated. It's a good word. In. Cause it feels like I, when I did it, it felt, it felt a lot like, um, yeah, like I was from the outside looking in, like I was actually a third person, you know, watching the conflict between me and the other person or me and the thought or whatever it was. Um, which, so talk a little bit about, speaking of trauma, like talk about kind of the application of of Yoga Nidra and what you do with trauma specifically, because I know that the trauma thing is is kind of your specialty and we have some other friends that that do that work. I'm always kind of interested in A, how you got into specializing in that, but to keep it on topic, uh, how, how is Yoga Nidra beneficial to trauma people? You know, I just shared my experience, but. Um, I, you know, put it simply, trauma is a brain disorder. You know, there's, there's a lots of levels and layers of trauma. There's, a, you know, complex trauma, compound trauma, there's simple trauma. There's, there's a lot of layers there. But simply put, over time, the brain becomes imbalanced. And that leads to, you know, that mind-body connection and the ego that comes along with how do I fit in the world? What is going on? Who, what, where, when, and why? Safety and always discerning and dissecting the, the, the event happening, the situation happening. So in the brain disorder of it, um, in, in our limbic system, we literally have the organs within the limbic system that become out of balance. The amygdala can become larger. The, the hippocampus can become smaller. So what's beautiful about yoga nidra meditation is that it begins to heal the brain. It begins to offer tools to, um, again, take that space, take that pause. And over time, we can begin to rejuvenate those areas within the brain that are dysregulated or hypersensitive or enlarged or shrunk you know we begin to create neural pathways that um maybe weren't there before maybe weren't turned on yeah you know i think it's an interesting thing um you know like you and i've been talking a lot recently about um when we have personality traits that used to be really beneficial and used to like keep us actually safe. Um, and then you get to a place where they, they start to detour you. Like, I feel like I have a lot of those lingering, like we we're talking about and just that general feeling of being unsafe a lot of times. Um, and like you're saying that it's like, I, I fully believe that the brain becomes actually like physically programmed because there's not a, an amount of, like I logically know that the odds of like a car driving by that someone in there wants to do anything to me is slim to none, but there's this programming that says, well, you should be, should be certain of it. Um, and I remember having a conversation with our friend, Laura, who, who does work similar to summer and, and really specializes in trauma. Um, 
And she was just saying one time that kind of broke it down is that I made a Pavlovian joke and she said, yeah, so imagine if while your prefrontal cortex was developing and your personality was developing, you were under the constant state of fear or stress. It's like, yeah, eventually that Pavlovian thing says, well, yeah, I should be scared because I'm not safe. So all of your patterns, how you walk, how you talk, the way you case a room, all of those things. And I feel like the only way, whether it be through yoga nidra or psychedelics, I feel like the only way to address the trauma brain is to have some sort of tool to remove the person from their consciousness and to look at it as a third party. And I feel like that's why a lot of the... Um, like what the MAPS organization does, you know, I feel like that's why their treatment of PTSD um, is so successful is because there's this ability, like you're saying with Yoga Nidra to kind of turn the volume down and then be like, okay, now that the volume is off, now let's look at it rather than defense, yeah. you know, a couple of things that I would love to, yeah, there's a couple of things I'd love to say on that, but um, say them, you know, one being that, you know, and here's a little bit of cognitive therapy is that when we have a neural connection, a neural um, firing, if you will, there's a certain chemical that's released through the neurotransmitters, right? Those neurotransmitters go into releasing neuropeptides, which travels down into the body, which triggers a certain hormone release, which tells the body how to feel. Right? So if we're releasing or thinking angry thoughts or fearful thoughts, that chemical is going to be sent down to the body through its own special pathway. And now we're feeling the adrenaline or the norepinephrine or the cortisol or whatever the hormone is. And so the body goes, ah, you're thinking angry thoughts. You're thinking fearful thoughts. Now we're feeling it. All right, we're back up. And over time, that body brain connection the body, because the brain wants to do it as quick as possible, doesn't want to actually think about it. This is, happens within a nano of a nanosecond, right? So over time, that pattern begins to happen, and the body says, I know this. I got this. You don't even have to think about it. And it's already releasing the felt sense of something's wrong here. So that hypersensitivity isn't just in the brain. It's also in the body. So what happens with practices such as yoga nidra is we've got this recursive um, dialoguing through our uh, prefrontal cortex. Again, that's where our ego is. It's always trying to figure out who, what, where, when, why, how do I fit in with the world? So through meditation and um, yoga nidra is such a simple guided meditation to help train that executive attention network. It goes from that I, me, my network that maybe has a lens of I'm not safe and um, I need to be on hyper vigilance here. And it switches that off to a present centered network. In that present centered network, the more time we begin to spend there, the more we begin to experience things such as joy, love, safety, equanimity, all of those higher emotions, gratitude, right? And that taps us in with our true nature. Now, when we are dealing with trauma, we're stuck. We're stuck in the body patterns. We're stuck in the brain patterns. We're stuck in the prefrontal cortex of where our personality is making sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're doing a great job. Excellent. Yeah. So 
it's, it's quite fascinating, you know, and you asked me like kind of my intrigue and I would say through my childhood, I always knew there was something more, there was something more to consciousness. And so as I started reading my own things, maybe it was like in fifth grade, I started reading things on dreams. And that's what's so freaking cool about maps and where we're at with the, the growth of psychedelics and the studies with, you know, FDA regulated things is they're tapping into the consciousness. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such an interesting thing of how, <laughs> you know, things can just be deemed, deemed bad without any, any sort of evidence, you know? Um, and I look at the smear campaign on, um, on psychedelics and I, I think, you know, when you talk about just always knowing there was more to consciousness, I know when I was young that that was, that was a huge thing. I remember the first time I tried psychedelics, I just, it really blew my hair back that this small little minute thing could give me this deep level of compassion and understanding and also awe, just like the, the pure awe of realizing how kind of small you are, but how we're interconnected with everything. Oh, yeah. um, the, those ideas of, of violence are completely like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be in a fight. There's no one should be fighting, you know, and, and, and really drawing us back to that, as you're saying, that like pure nature um, of where I think we all could rest. Um, and and it's, it's really interesting, too, because I know, you know, like my brother, when he when he came back from Iraq, severe, severe, severe PTSD. At that time, there was an influx of MDMA in Des Moines where we grew up, you know, and he was taking it all of the time, you know, and I remember him just kind of relaying like, you know, I just I feel good, like none of the other shit is really there when I'm on it. And it's in its clinical application. The reason that they're doing it again is because it calms those nerve patterns of you know, there's a level of like understanding and compassion and grace, grace with oneself. Where, where you can kind of have these revelations of where you might be going wrong or where you might have hurt people and you can really just hold space for yourself to be like, oh, I forgive myself. And I also understand that I was just doing the best that I could. And um, It offers a separation. It opens those part of the brain that normally isn't turned on because we're so busy in that recursive thinking, that personality that says I'm not safe and trying to scan. Yeah. It opens up those parts brain that are dark you know where gray matter may be missing or is 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 not turned on right oh and there's a you know i remember the thing that got me really hip to maps for people to know what what maps is the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies so what they do is they take uh people like my wife summer here that are highly qualified uh clinical therapists um, and then they take people suffering from PTSD. And I believe the criteria for the study to qualify is you have to have uh, been going to counseling for some time and you had to have tried multiple uh, prescription drugs that are supposed to help with anxiety, PTSD, well, PTSD and all of the symptoms thereof, you know, which are anxiety and all sorts of shit. Um, and the thing that really made me super hip to what they were doing and start paying attention was as someone that myself has been diagnosed with PTSD and my brother who, you know, wouldn't have not only had PTSD uh, from our childhood, but then he went uh, and was in the infantry from 2004 to 2007, I believe. Um, and I remember reading the statistics that they were having over 90% 
success rate in healing PTSD, not treating it, which is what medication will do. You can treat PTSD, uh, but everyone that I know that's taken the medications prescribed uh, doesn't like the way they feel. But people reporting three, six, nine months later, like, nope, I'm good. Um, and, and like we're saying, yeah, the huge part of that, again, is turning down the noise and then addressing the problem. Yeah, and offering a pause and turning on those parts that are, are, um, are big, those big parts of the consciousness that normally wouldn't be turned on. Yeah, what do you think is, um, what would you see that, say the number one, how can I word this? The number one, like, kind of ailment that, that you see in people uh, that you work with? like something across the board, whether it's anxiety or whatever, and, and where do you think it's from? Do you think, like, I know you've been saying that your clients, especially with the, the, the pandemic and all of that, that there's just kind of been like a heightened level of, of what? A heightened level of what? Why don't you tell us what, how you feel this is affecting people on, uh, you know, on, a inner, on a deep level, on the level that you work on? Yeah, you know, with the pandemic, um, Without a doubt, there is this level of uncertainty that is not safe. You know, there's a lot of unknowns. We just don't know where this is going. We don't know how bad it's going to hit. And it turns on the natural recursive thinking that is surrounded by anxiety and fear. And um, yeah, without a doubt, right now, a lot of anxiety. And if we stay in that place too long, you know, I always say that depression and anxiety are the same coin, just different sides. Um, so if we stay in that place too long, it very quickly can lead us down to a sense of hopelessness, of um, sadness, of maybe even grief. And then we're in that state of being, all the old shit comes up. You know, you may be working for two, three years in a really great place and you've repatterned and you've worked with, you know, neuroplasticity of the brain. So you're connecting your neural pathways. But the moment you get into a state of uh, fear and depression, all your old shit comes back, your self-narrative and how you make sense of the world. And, it, it, you know, it's a tricky place. So right now I'm seeing a lot of that. Yeah, it's hard shit. And, Go ahead. Well, and I want to say that, you know, the, the, the paths that I've been on um, ultimately lead to the same place. And that is a connection with a higher sense of, call it what you will, be it God, um, you know, anything, is that I really feel that a lot of this stems from the lack of connection to a higher being of whatever that is, whether that's nature, great spirit. Um, and when we have this connection with that true nature that we touched on, mm -hmm. There is a grounding there. There is a deep sense of, man, this is happening right now, but it's for a bigger thing playing out. That's that macrocosm versus that microcosm um, effect. And I really believe that a lot of this um, comes down to a lack of spirituality in a sense, you know? And we're in this beautiful time of consciousness is shifting. That's why we have organizations like MAPS working with the government. That's why we have more and more integrative 
um, psychotherapist or chiropractor. I, I think about like what the world is going to look like in 20 years. I see, I have a very good version, a very bad version, but I just remember, man, if you would have told me in high school, the cannabis, cannabis would be legal in more places than it wasn't in the U S um, and that psilocybin would be decriminalized. Like, I just would have been like, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> no way. You know, my biggest fear growing up was the police. That was my biggest fear growing up. Um, and it's interesting seeing that shift, you know, on the, on the thing of, on, on the subject of the pandemic, you know, it's, I think we've just never seen, I think the fear, like if someone is already going through every day with anxiety and stuff like that, and then that person loses their job and then files for unemployment and it doesn't go through because millions of other people also did. So then they apply for, you know, the PPP loan or whatever. And then that also doesn't go through because that money run out. Like I can't imagine someone that already has severe anxiety. You know, you and I are really blessed right now. I think it's important that that gets acknowledged that you and I have this ability right now to kind of look at this thing as like, for sure. We're you know, safe. Yeah. We're very, very safe during it. We live in a really awesome rural community. We're out in the mountains. It's, you know, there's six fucking cases here and four of them have been recovered. But even aside from that, you know, just like financially relationship wise, we're really secure. And I, and I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of people aren't, you know, aren't there. Um, and I just, you know, send all my love and compassion to, to people that are in a much different boat than you and I are for this whole thing. Um, you know, I think the magic that's happening right now is we're kind of starting to acknowledge, you know, there's this narrative that America is the greatest country in the world. And while I believe that to be true, there's obviously areas we can do better. And health healthcare is one of those. We're 37th in healthcare. Um, and I think that is starting to cause more anxiety than the pandemic itself. I think there's this unveiling that's kind of happening where people are realizing that this magical, you know, uh, comic book land of freedom and excellence that they've lived in, they're starting to realize like, fuck man, this thing is being run by a, <laughs> by a fucking reality show TV host. That's, uh, you know, an absolute sociopath uh, and narcissist and, I don't have a fucking job and I can't get any help. You know, I think there's a, there's an anxiety that's past the pandemic now that's, that's getting really real. Um, what are some things I know that you have your website and you've put up a bunch of um, stuff recently, but what are some tools that people that are feeling the heat, some quick, easy go-to tools? Um, quick, easy tools. I'd say get outside and go for a walk. Yes. I'd say deepen the breath while you're walking. You know, we are quarantined, we're social distancing, you know, physical distancing, whatever you want to call it. But we forget that we can go outside and bring the vision beyond the walls of our home or our screens, our TVs. Go for a walk. Yeah, that's the hard loop cycle right now is the, Oh, I want to know what's happening. So you hop on the news and it almost makes it worse. You know? Yeah. Like I said, I got so frustrated uh, today that I said, I'd like to, uh, well, we don't need to say it. I got so, <laughs> I got so upset at the president uh, that I actually, that I said something real gnarly. Uh, and it, but you know, these tools that, that we're talking about, you know, combining is really, these are sacred, timeless tools. 
sacred, timeless tools. And so, you know, the breath is the easiest uh, thing that we can access. So if we just begin moving the body and deepening the breath, perhaps learning how to breathe. A lot of people with anxiety or anger, they're, they're breathing in a way that stays high in the chest. Perhaps they're holding the breath after the inhale. There's no connection with the diaphragm. It's uncomfortable for them at first to start breathing low into the belly. You know, so I would just say move more, breathe more. So there to breathe. So uh, in the description of this podcast, I'll put her website and stuff like that. But she's put up some free uh, breath practices. She's put up some free um, asana practices, some physical practices. Um, and if you go to her website, they're all on there. And they're all um, great. Yeah, it's exciting, you know, putting the breath practices, the yoga nidra and the, um, the yoga movement practices is you know, when this thing first started, I had the opportunity to stop teaching at my community yoga studio, start doing my practice a little more. I had the opportunity to do some meditations with some of my friends, colleagues, and teachers. And it just really hit me that in this time, I moved all of my clients over to telehealth. So I was continuing to see them via video sessions, but I was actually doing a disservice by not putting these practices out there. And I've had to e immensely get over my own shit, my own obstacles, which is putting myself out there um, to make these timeless sacred practices available because now's the time. This global pandemic has offered an opportunity and now's the time. It's making it available and uh, yeah, yeah I, will, I will say the silver lining of this event has been seeing people get creative and being like, okay, what are my talents or tools that can help? And whether that's people being like, fuck, I have a sewing machine, also some masks, you know, or people like you being like, man, I could record this and put it up and it would probably help people. And after like day one of you having it up, you got hit up by a bunch of people being like, man, that was awesome. Um, so I hope everyone does that. I hope everyone you know, can kind of figure out uh, how they can help others and themselves in this. Cause it's definitely a time for uh, creativity and, um, and plan B's. Yeah. And I just kind of want to point out that, you know, on this healing path one, it takes time, you know, in, in yoga, there's the symbol of the, the Lotus flower, right? The Lotus flower arrives in its own blossoming over time, but it comes from mud and, and yuckiness, right? It comes from the shit of not clean waters, but each petal that unfolds just unfolds this beautiful multi-petaled flower. In this process, when we're talking about integrative, is it's not just one thing, but when you begin just one thing, it begins to blossom the whole. You begin to clean up your diet. You begin to eat better. You begin to have different circadian rhythms. You begin to want to do better. You begin to notice unhealthy habits or inner dialogue. Um, so it, it's pretty exciting. And that's something that I wish I could give everybody, um, not to blow up Carl, but Carl's been the, a person that's really close to me that I've really seen seen it happen for outside of myself 
is when someone gets addicted to bettering themselves and, and how quick that goes from being like, okay, cool. I'm going to start working out. I think, okay, cool. I'm going to start working out. Well, I don't always feel like working out if I eat this way. So I'm going to start eating this way and keep working out. Oh shit. Well, now that I'm working out, I'm not as flexible as I could be, man. I'm going to start stretching every day and just watching the compound thing. And then before you know it, that person's just like, well, man, pretty much if it isn't making me better, I don't want to do it. And when someone gets stuck in that fucking lifestyle cycle, that's the like, that's the goal. That's why, you know, I credit everything to that. Um, You know, um, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Um, Yeah. And then we begin to have a confidence and a feel good and a, and that's a different direction. Thing, man, is so many people, I think, with when it comes to mental illness, you know, for me, for years, I was just like, okay, well, I don't have to acknowledge all of this stuff if I'm drinking and using drugs. Like, I'll just party. I'm just partying. It's fine. Um, and then you slowly start to kind of strip away those things and 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 realize, yeah, where the where the wounds are. And when you start adapting those uh, those healthy patterns, you start to be able to heal them. And then it gives you the courage to want to heal other shit and look at everything. And um, and yeah, and and the confidence that comes from that of getting to go through the world, you know, there's the the age old thing um, of discipline equals freedom, you know. And I always translate that to, you know, if you have enough discipline, it will eventually give you the freedom to walk through the world knowing exactly who you are and what you like and don't like and you know, we're down for an art. Um, so yeah, I would, enc- I would encourage everyone to use this time to just be like, Oh shit, I'm going to start doing pushups every day or I'm, you know? Yeah. Well, in that spirituality piece that we throw in there is it's your true North. It's your direction. Why are you walking that path? Where are you going? What is your purpose? Like what that, that Dharmic sense, right. Of where do I point my compass? So that's part of that unfolding and, and the work that you can do with a, a psychotherapist or some other professional that can hold that space and dive into investigating what are we doing and why are we doing it in the, the bigger sense that because when that's missing, there's a lack, there's an unhappiness, there's a disease. You, um, you have been blessed in the sense that your talents are so intense and so strong. It's like, duh, why wouldn't you be a musician? Why wouldn't you be playing and seeing and going on stage? That's not like that for a lot of people. It's, it's quieter. It's not so loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was in the backyard shooting the bow the other day, I had this crazy thought of, I saw uh, a fella in town that we both know, walk by and we're about the same age um and i was thinking man i wonder what he's doing you know because every time i see him he kind of has a different job and i had this aha of like man i haven't thought about what the purpose of my life is in so long you know and the anxiety of like man what am i doing what the fuck am i gonna do like that used to plague me all day yeah, it was about the time when you were trying to decide if you should be a teacher or not yeah and man, I, you know, I remember rock climbing all of the time and skiing all of the time and being outside. And I was essentially just like, I didn't want to answer any of those questions, but that used to eat at me every night. Like, man, what the fuck are you doing, dude? How long are you going to do this? Uh, and I feel really blessed. Yeah, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
I feel really blessed that I haven't like, that's such a problem. Uh, that's just such a common thing that people have to mull over all day, every day of like, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? Um, if I could give any advice towards that, it's, if you feel, you know, to quote sister act two, if you wake up in the morning and all you think about is singing, then you should probably be a singer. Um, and I really, really believe that, um, you know, it's, was the most painstaking, uh, outrageous process, uh, of ups and downs ever. Yeah. And it's not meant to be easy. No, not at all. But if, you know, I would rather, you know, I remember us having a conversation with you and saying, you know, when I started going head in on music, I kind of went in with the approach of like, shit, man, even if I go, I'm going to give this a hundred percent. And if I fail at least at the end of my life, I can be like, well, man, I guess that wasn't meant to be, but at least I gave it a go. You know, I thought it was, and I gave it everything I had, but it turned out it wasn't. Um, you know, so yeah, I think I would just encourage everyone to use this time to be like, okay, what are you going to do when this thing's done? What can you aim yourself at? That's going to make you proud of yourself at the end of every day. Um, Cause that's something that I didn't ever have for a really, really long time unless I finished a really good climbing project that I was working on. But um, yeah, well, I have some standard questions that I want to ask you. Okay. These are questions that I ask everybody and they're all music related. And I might know the answers to, oh, actually, no, I don't think I do. What was the first song or record that made you cry? Ooh, cry. Oh, man. I, I got to pass on that. I can't think of crying records. I can think of deep emotional records with uh, Bob Marley and Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan. I don't know about crying, babe. That's crazy. I still cry to music. Something will just hit me in the right time and I'll just be like, why am I crying right now? Yeah, it's so, it was so wild. The other day I was when I was driving back from Billings, I literally was on the highway and was listening to a playlist uh, and a David Bowie song came on. Uh, key heroes, we can be heroes. And it got to that last chorus. I was like, why the fuck am I crying right now? It just music does it. Music does it to me all the time. Uh, I movies, but I, I don't know about the album songs. Okay. Favorite hip hop album of all time? Uh, Tribe Called Quest. Which one? I don't know. You tell me. I love Tribe. I love Arrested Development. Um, I, I couldn't tell you names. Maybe, you, you know. You know. <laughs> so, uh, as you guys have imagined, uh, although my wife, or probably picked up on not imagined, uh, although my wife is partnered with me, who is obsessed with music and is never not listening to it, thinking about it, or talking about it, she clearly is not as obsessed as I am. There's a there's an imbalance in our freakish obsession with music. Uh, what are three songs or albums that you're listening to right now that you really like? <laughs> um, I really love Deuter. It has no words, and it's just really beautiful uh, yoga practice, meditation practice, background noise. Um, so that's one. <laughs> okay. Um, 
you know, my mom passed away January 1st and um, I've, I've gotten back into Bob Dylan since then. Yeah, same. I've been listening to a lot of Bob too. Yeah, so, you know, I, I guess I take it back that um, that offered a lot of crying and, and, and shedding of emotion through grief. Uh, Bob Dylan really, buckets of rain, you know. Yep, that's um, good. And the third one, geez, man, I don't know. Everything is like playlist oriented now. I don't know if I dive into albums. Yeah, see, but I've been, I've been breaking that mold. I've been making playlists. But it's only because I listen. I've been listening to records. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, all the classics are still there, but I'll make you a playlist. All right. Well, I'm going to give you guys my three recommended records right now, and then we're going to sign <laughs> off. And uh, yeah, um, like I said, uh, Summer's links to her websites and all those free practices will be in the description. Uh, or you can go to agamikarmatherapy.com. And yeah, or Instagram. I'd love any feedback if anybody needs questions or um, any further guidance. I mean, there's so many ways that you can begin to find me or, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Agami Karma Therapy, uh, my website. There's an email, contact me list. Yeah, so if you go to sunflower number 4 om that is uh, her Instagram handle. Um, oh, that's a nasty knockout when I open my Instagram to look up your, <laughs> your handle. All right, three records that everyone should be listening to. First one, 461 Ocean Boulevard uh, by Eric Clapton. Uh, it was a magical time in Eric Clapton's career. He was addicted to cocaine, but I believe it was some of the best guitar work that he ever had. Uh, second one, Idlewood South. Uh, I've been listening to the remastered edition by the Allman Brothers. Album came out in 1970. Um, the opening of that album, Revival, full gospel vibes, uh, some of their best songs ever. And also on the remastered version, there's live takes of all the songs on the record. Uh, and the stuff at Ludlow's Garage is fire. Uh, and then also Malachi, our son, we realized loves uh, the song Crazy by Seal. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is the funniest thing ever. Um, so yeah, Seal, haven't been listening to a record, but uh, my art teacher, Mr. Weiss, who did the intro on the album Culture, who's a mentor of mine, uh, loved Seal. And I used to kind of flip him shit for it. But now since listening to Seal, uh, I realized that I was wrong for giving Mr. Weiss shit. Seal's a great artist. Um, yeah, that's it for this episode. And we'll talk to you soon. Do you want to leave him with any parting words, babe? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about suffering or any sense of imbalance of how you get started, um, you know, know that it just takes time and it's it's a process of unfolding one petal at a time and, and that you've got the answers within yourself and it's just a matter of learning how to tap into that. And sometimes we need somebody else to hold space in that because we get stuck. There's a lot of stuck emotions and thoughts that we got to, help have guidance to move through that's not meant to be done on our own reach out all right big love and we will talk to you all soon all right everybody i hope that you all enjoyed that episode um 
in Satsung news, what is there? We just um, announced a whole bunch more tour dates for the fall. Um, and we have even more to announce, so just keep your eye out. Um, the next episode of the podcast features Mahali from Twiddle, uh, one of the coolest dudes ever. And I think uh, the most fun that I've had just catching up with someone uh, in a while. Um, yeah, we talk about the dead, we talk about touring, we talk about, uh, you know, the crazy stories that can happen when you travel as much as uh, uh, that we do. Um, but anyway, I appreciate y'all tuning in. Make sure, as always, that you subscribe, share, uh, etc. And we look forward to uh, having you back on the next episode. We'll talk to you soon. Take care of each other. Peace. <laughs>